You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A.com. We're going to consider today uh, Psalm, Psalm 53. So if you have your Bible, please open them to Psalm 53. If you don't have a Bible, you can open the bulletin. It's printed there for you. And I'm going to ask you one more time to please stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. To the choir master, according to Mahalat, a maskil of David. So this is a psalm written by David. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. This is God's word. You may be seated. pray. Father, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so make us hungry for this word food, even as we prepare to eat the bread and drink the wine, so that today both the word and the sacrament will nourish us in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the bread of heaven. Amen. Well, that psalm may sound familiar to you if you're familiar with uh, the book of Romans in the New Testament. Paul quotes it uh, uh, to make his case about the sinfulness of human beings. And uh, I'm sensitive to the fact that we get criticized, we being Christians, we get criticized often for talking about sin too much. Uh, and and ha- having just heard this psalm, you may, uh, may want to make that criticism. Um, you know, I've heard it. Maybe you hear it. You know, why do you Christians insist that they're always, you're always insisting that there's something seriously wrong with us? Well, look, one of the things I reply is, it, you know, it's not just the Christians who say that. You understand that, right? I mean, just, just look at our culture. There, you, you find it in, in the oddest places, right? Look, like, think about the advertising industry or politics, right? Both of those, uh, th- those cultural realities tap into the deep psychology of human beings uh, that, uh, 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 that resonates with us. When, and they tell us that there's something wrong with us, but we can fix it. 
We can fix it ourselves, right? On behalf of uh, their clients, advertisers beat it into your head that uh, there is something wrong with you. Your weight, uh, the color of your teeth, your body shape, your state of mind, uh, your image that you project to others, the clothes that you wear, but not to worry, right? Take the pill, have this surgery, uh, undergo this procedure, take this course, wear these clothes, and you'll be good. Politicians do the same thing. They, although they aren't generally so individualistic, politicians generally talk in collective terms, right? They tell us we're broken all the time. We have too much poverty, too little education, too few opportunities. So they say, support me and I'll ensure that uh, there will be government funding and government programs uh, that you need to fix what's wrong with you. But you know, it's funny, our culture is, is schizophrenic. You, you hear, you, our culture also delivers the opposite message, right? If, if you turn from advertisers and politicians and you go to pop music, or pop psychology, or pop spirituality, um, what do you hear? Well, you hear over and over again, just ringing in your ears, there is nothing wrong with you. Right? You don't need to change. You don't need anything. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Perfect. I'm just the straight man for Bob. Um, now I've lost my place, Bob. <laughs> oh, last year there was a hit song by a, it's a pretty good song, an indie artist with a weird name, Rex Orange County, and uh, a British guy, uh, and and he he sang us. Uh, he had a hit song last year called. Uh, amazing and and he, he and he's saying don't change a thing you are amazing i can't believe you've come to save me and uh you just have to go a few years back to to hear bruno mars sing uh there's not a thing i would change because you're amazing just the way you are right same exact message you're amazing just the way you are uh, one cultural commentator uh, I, I read said it this way, the only thing wrong with us is thinking that there's something wrong with us. Well, Christians say that both of those cultural extremes are off base. Christians agree with God's word, agree with the Bible, and with the cultural perspective that says that there is something wrong with us. And there's no denying it, right? I mean, if you have any degree of self-awareness, you know there's something, there's something in us that isn't fixed, uh, that is not susceptible to, to fixing, uh, that just spoils the good, right? When, when good comes into our lives, you know, you hear, when you hear that a friend of yours just got a promotion, that's good news. But, Often we don't rejoice, do we? We, we? we secretly get resentful. We secretly dive back into our deep insecurities about 
ourselves and, and become resentful and jealous of what others have. But then on those days when we get the promotion, uh, you know, that's good. But then, but then uh, the good is spoiled by, by the, uh, the, the worry that maybe I don't measure up. Maybe I won't cut it. There's something in us. Um, there is something wrong with us. But we, Christians, insist that this, this isn't, it can't be fixed. You, you and I can't fix this on our own. Uh, sin, sin, which is what the Bible calls it, this, this problem in us, is not susceptible to self-help. So we read Psalms 53, and this tells us a lot about sin. And, and um, so as we come to this table, which, which represents, you know, look at this table. This represents uh, our total healing from our sin sickness. So as to prepare to come to this table, which is the solution, uh, it is the healing, I want to unpack Psalm 53 under three headings. First heading is the diagnosis of sin is hard news, but it's also hopeful news. It's hard news, but it's also hopeful news. Second heading, uh, being saved from our sin means surprisingly suffering in the world. You may not have been expecting that. Being saved from our sin means suffering in the world. And then third heading, finally, saved from, being saved from sin means the dissolving of dread. The dissolving of dread. Okay? That's our outline. So first heading, uh, the diagnosis of sin is hard news, but it's also hopeful news. Now you'll look, this is verses 1 through 3. You look in verses 1 through 3, you don't actually see the word sin in verse 53 but we have or Psalm 53 but we it's a beautiful description of sin and what it tells us is that the way sin manifests itself in human beings is that it causes human beings not to seek God we don't look for God in fact it's 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 actually even more serious than that it's not just that we don't seek God it's that we affirmatively move away from God, right? Turn away from God. Our translation says all have fallen away. The word there is really turn. We've turned away uh, from God. And because of that, because human beings were made by the Creator to be in relationship to the Creator, since sin disrupts that relationship, human beings get corrupted, just like a motherboard in your computer gets corrupted. And what happens to your computer when it has a corrupted motherboard, right? It starts acting weird, right? It starts acting irrationally. Uh, its processing goes haywire. The data it p- comes out with is, is, is wrong. And, and it's the same way. Psalm 53 says our processing is affected by, sin, by this sin's alienation from God. We are our thinking is affected. We don't understand, the psalm says. And our actions are affected. We don't do good. In fact, we do the opposite. We do abominable things. 
And if you're looking for exceptions, there aren't any. Right? David made sure to communicate that there are no exceptions. This is true of every human being. Uh, There is none who does good, not even one. I have a good friend, Christian friend, whose uh, son learned this lesson well, uh, first grader. And uh, he's sitting in his class, and uh, uh, the teacher, somebody stole something. Nobody's coming forward. So the teacher has a showdown with a whole class of first graders and says, uh, okay, uh, somebody in here stole, stole this thing. Uh, so I'm going to ask everybody who is innocent, everyone who hasn't done anything wrong, leave the room. Well, you can imagine there was a stampede to the door, except one kid. My, my friend's son. And uh, he's sitting there. <laughs> Teacher sends him to the principal's office and uh, says, why'd you steal? He says, I didn't steal it. He says, well, then why did you sit there? Well, there's none who does good. <laughs> Not even one. had to call his mom. Mom came down. It was this great witnessing opportunity with the principal. He didn't understand this. There was a theology lesson going on here. Um, but some of you hear this and you're objecting, and, right? And you're, you're, you're thinking, you know, surely, Ted, it can't be that bad. Come on, right? I know a lot of good people. I'm a good person. I think a lot of good thoughts. I do a lot of good things. Uh, listen, I'll give you that. That's, it, that. that's true. But, but you need to understand here that that's not what Psalm 53 is talking about, something different. When, you're, when you say that, you know, I'm a pretty good person. What are you doing? You're comparing yourself against other people, right? right? It's, you're you're, you're uh, judging your own relative goodness or your relative evil in how you stack up against other people. But that's not what Psalm 53 is doing. Psalm 53 is stacking you up against the Lord, right? The living God. And when we, when, we, when we compare ourselves, when we compare our goodness to the living God, we don't look so good. It's, you know, that, let me give you a visual. Let's see if it helps. Um, have you ever been to a city, you know, big city? Um, I, I can think of times I've, this has happened to me, Los Angeles, Phnom Penh in Cambodia, where I'm in this city in Paris, in city at night, and and you're walking around and you're just captivated by the beauty at night, right? The the multi all the lights, multiple colored lights, and the the warm glow coming out of the windows, the the quaint sidewalk cafes, and and it's just it's easy to sort of get caught up in the in the beauty and the romance of it. Now, maybe you've had that experience, but then have you had the second experience, which I've had, which is then the next day, you walk the same streets in the glare of the morning. 
And it is, it, boy, it's a, it's a whole different thing, right? Because in the glare of the morning, what do you see? You see the grime of the city. You see how dirty things are and grimy things are and how beat up and shabby the, the, that furniture is in the quaint little sidewalk cafe. You look at all the stuff on the sidewalk you walked through last night, right? It's depressing. That's, you know, what's happened? I mean, nothing's changed except light has been thrown on it. And the light of the sun exposed all the grime and the dirt and the imperfections of the city that we're blind to, that we're, you know, we're, we're, we were blind to in, in the evening. And that's just like us coming up against the perfection and the holiness of God, right? And when we stand, you stand next to the holiness and the perfection of God, um, our goodness looks like what it really is. And it's, it's, it's not goodness next to God. No one does good. Not even one. See, we're standing up against the Lord. And the, this, this, the, the, the urgent thing is that since God is a God of beauty and He's a God of truth and He's a God of justice, that He can't abide the imperfect, the unholy, the dirty, the grimy, the inconsistent. He can't abide those things forever. Ultimately, to be true to His nature, to be truly beautiful and truly just and truly fair, truly loving and truly right, He's got to judge those things. And that means He has to judge you and me. That's hard news. That's, that's why the diagnosis of sin is hard news. It requires a real significant recalibration of how you think about yourself, right? But I said this was also hopeful news. Now, you, where's the hope? And is it that Psalm 53 sounds like universal condemnation. Well, it isn't. Where, there's hope here. Where's the hope? Where's the hope in Psalm 53? Well, you see it in verse 4 when God refers to my people. And then in verse 6 again where it says, when God restores the fortunes of His people. And all of a sudden we see in that reference that this, the mass of every human being, right, the, of the human race, among that human race... God has, there, there, there's a subset that God has identified with. And what that has to mean, since we know that people move away from God, is that, that, that even though the, the entire human race does not seek God because of sin, God seeks human beings. Even though human beings move away from God, God moves towards human beings. That's what Jesus Christ is all about. Right? It's God moving close, coming close to you and me in human flesh. It's how He could get close. Jesus lived in that human flesh uh, a blameless life for your account. He died uh, to, to take the blame for your sin. He was raised from the dead 
to vindicate what he did and to guarantee your status if you have if you're believing in Jesus if you're trusting your life to Jesus to guarantee your status as an adopted forgiven beloved child of the Lord no ground for boasting right we're not here because we're so spiritual We're not here because we're so religious. We're not here because we're so smart. We figured it out. The fact that there are people like the Christians in this room who call upon God means that God called upon us first. Or we wouldn't be here. Paul said it this way, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. David wrote the great shepherd psalm, right? Psalm 23. Jesus took that identity on. Jesus identified himself as the shepherd described in Psalm 23. And what's a shepherd do? Jesus said, you know, What do shepherds do? They go out and seek and find the sheep and bring them home. And that's exactly what he did. He went out and sought and found you and brought you home. He died. He laid down his life for you as the good shepherd so you could live. Psalm 23 closes out, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of hope. That's what the translations almost always say, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know why that translation gets perpetuated, because the Hebrew word there, translated follow, means one thing, pursue. And that's different. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue you all the days of your life. Friends, that's the Bible storyline. God is pursuing you. He has pursued you. He is pursuing you. Every day he's pursuing you through Jesus Christ with his goodness and his mercy. And that's what this table shouts. He's pursuing you with his goodness and his mercy. Okay, that's the first heading. Sin is hard news, but it's hopeful news. Uh, Second heading, uh, if... Being saved from sin surprisingly means suffering in the world. You know, the Bible is not Pollyanna about life. It doesn't hide the ball. Uh, it's realistic. And in saying that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're forgiven of your sin, you're brought back into a reconciled relationship with the Creator God, uh, You're invested with the Holy Spirit who spiritually rebirths you and is now, even now, remaking you into His image. He's building the beauty of God Himself into you. That's all true. But in saying that, the Bible is not saying that in spite of all those amazingly great things... Uh, your problems, all your problems are not immediately solved. And you say, duh. They aren't. I 
think in our culture, our quick fix culture, we want them to be. But I, I, you know, in my devotions over the last year, I, one fact has just hit me over and over and over again, no matter where I am in the Bible. And that is our faith is lived out in the midst of suffering. It just is. You know, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you're saved, not only not do, do your problem, aren't your problems not solved, you actually start getting more problems. Because what's happening is you're, you, it, when you start following Jesus, you start moving, literally moving against the crowd, right? Because what does Psalm 53, where, where does Psalm 53 say the crowd's going? Right? Away from God. You put your faith in Jesus, you're now moving toward him, and, and you are literally going against the crowd. And that's, that's going to create problems. You ever left a stadium after a game and, and then had to turn back because you realized that uh, you left your jacket on the seat? I've done that. It's, it's a nightmare, right? You, be, because you're... Right, the crowd is all going one direction, and you're trying to go uh, the other. That's what being a follower of Jesus is like. From the perspective of the crowd, you're going the wrong way. You're getting in the way. You're bumping into people. You're bumping into uh, their values. You're bumping into their worldviews. And conflict and opposition is unavoidable. Yeah? They're going to be hostiles. Look at verse 4. There are people, God says, who eat up my people as they eat bread. That's pretty graphic. Verse 5 talks about people being encamped against God's people. That's describing a military siege, right, where the enemy has surrounded a city, say, it's camped out, and it's just laying siege to the city. You ever feel that way? like you've been laid siege to? Of course you have. I have. That's where you and I live, right? When Jesus came to earth in his ministry, when Jesus came to you specifically through his Holy Spirit, he did not promise your best life now. He promised your best life in the future. That's not to say there aren't great benefits. Now there are wonderful benefits of being a, a, a person who lives by faith in Jesus. You've got the Holy Spirit, the very Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, guiding you, giving you wisdom, sanctifying you. You have confidence and, and inner peace that comes from knowing that you are known by God, that you're forgiven by God, that you're loved by God. That as the good shepherd, he has you in his hand and he will not let you go. But all those things, as great as they are, are really just the down payment, friends, right? On, on the full enjoyment of our full salvation, which we don't possess yet. One day, sin and death will be no more. Sin and death will not be part of our reality. There won't be any tears or grieving, just abundant life with Jesus. 
And notice verse 6. It's not a question of if, it's, it's an issue of when. It's not if this is going to happen. It's when God restores the fortunes of His people, let Israel rejoice. Let God's people rejoice. So we don't know when that is. We know, we know generally, it's, the Bible calls it the day. The day. And the day is when Jesus returns, not as Savior, but as judge, to set the world right. And on that day, um, uh, we will, our salvation will be consummated. We'll, have, we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy it fully. And, and you know, the, the, the supper speaks to that too, right? The bread and the wine look back, of course, to the fact that Jesus lived as a man on earth, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. But it also looks forward. It reminds us that God is coming because Jesus instructed us, right? He says, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the wine, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So even as we come to this table, we're, 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 it's, it's a reminder that Jesus is coming back. That, being a, that there's a lot more to being a Christian that we just don't know yet, that we just haven't fully experienced yet, and won't until he comes back. In the meantime, right, faith means waiting. Faith means persevering through a lot of tough times, and some of you are dealing with that right now. Um, but remember, you don't do it alone. The Lord is with you, and we're in this together as brothers and sisters. That's what the church is for. As we wait together and as we help each other persevere. Going back to that shepherd psalm, remember what it, what, what it says, what does the shepherd do? He prepares a table before me. Where? Where? In the presence of my enemies. Here it is. The Lord has prepared his table before us, right? In the presence of our enemies, friends, right? We're in hostile territory. We're not home yet, but it's okay. The Lord's with us, and he's going to get us there, okay? Finally, third final heading. Saved from sin means the dissolving of dread. This is verse 5. Our, our translation uses the word terror. Other translations use, use uh, dread. I, either one of those is fine. I like dread. Some say fear, but fear, I think, is more specific. Dread is kind of more general, generalized. Um, and for what it's saying at verse 5 is that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no reason to dread. You have no reason to experience terror. Why? Because God destroys, has destroyed the enemies that would destroy you, right? He scatters their bones. He puts them to shame. Now, Psalm 53 there is probably talking about some actual event in Israel's history, some military victory. Um, but that, that's just a signpost, right? Psalm 43, 53 finds its ultimate fulfillment 
in the fact that God has achieved the ultimate victory through Jesus Christ. He has scattered the bones of your two greatest enemies, sin and death. He's, they're done. He's, he's put them to shame. He's defeated them. He's rejected them. On the cross, you have nothing ultimately to dread. And yet we do. We do, we do as believers sometimes experience dread, don't we? That's, that's in verse 5, I take this, and the commentators are, differ on this, but I, I think the best read of this is that uh, when in, in verse 5, when it says, there they are, right? Experiencing in terror where there is no terror. That, I believe, is talking about us believers. Sometimes we're in terror. Sometimes we're in dread. Where there is no dread, there is no terror. Because the enemy's defeated. I hope you relate to that. I do. I mean, are there times in your life when you just feel burdened by by a kind of dread? Uh, Terror? Fear? Um, When you feel almost crushed by your Fears for your loved ones, for your job, for your uh, health, for your financial well-being, for your, the state of our country and our culture, our politics. What's happening? What's happening when you and I are burdened by that kind of dread? Well, it's pretty simple. What's happening is that you're forgetting in that moment what God accomplished for you in Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus did. He beat sin so it can't condemn you, and he beat death so it can't hold you, so that you will be raised. We forget Jesus, and we start thinking like the world. And sometimes you can't distinguish Christians from people who aren't Christians. We're just as afraid as they are. And that's an indictment on us, but it's not a new problem. Isaiah spoke to the same problem. Isaiah chapter 8. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of the armies of heaven, let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. Russell Moore, the editor-in-chief, now the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, recently wrote an essay where he said this, and I I really appreciated this. think, Think about this. He says, if we have misplaced hopes, we will have misplaced fears. When we seek the wrong kingdom, we will fear the wrong apocalypse. Moreover, and here, this, this generational concern really got me. He says, moreover, our children will find it v- very difficult to connect a scared and anxious church with a Jesus who p- 
perspired not a drop before the leaders of the Roman Empire, but sweat blood before the face of God. And we wonder why we seem to be losing so much of the next generation from the faith. Maybe it's because we've bought into the world. We're fearing what the world fears. And, and the next generation is having a hard time connecting our Jesus. You know? So why, wondering why, what we're afraid of. Jesus wasn't afraid of Rome. He just sweat blood before the face of his father. So listen, friends, as we come together now to this table, to the Lord's table, if you're you're coming with fear today, Christians, right, dread, put them under the body and the blood of Jesus. Don't fear what the world fears. Him we are to fear, right? He's our sanctuary. He's defeated sin and death for you. Fix your eyes on him. Fix your hope on him. Remember that you're a citizen of the kingdom that this bread and wine point forward to, the kingdom of the God-man, Christ Jesus, our King. Oh, we're, this table is in the midst of our enemies, right? We're going to go through hard times together. We're going through hard times together. But in Christ, friends, God will restore the fortunes of his people. We can be confident of that as we eat the bread and drink the wine. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to come to your table now. Um, Forgive us our fears. Help our unbelief. Lord, remind us that we don't come to this table uh, because of anything we are, but because of everything you are and what you've done. Strengthen us. Encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.